put that up, Psalm 139, um, 7. Uh, it says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. And here's what I want to do is I just want, to, I want us to think about that for a moment. Okay, so uh, I know you guys just sat down three to five minutes ago, but if you'll just stand up, if you have the ability to stand up, go ahead and do that. And what we're going to do is we're, we're just going to pray this. This is scripture. Um, you know, the song goes on and it, it's in verse then eight and nine. Um, but we're just going to do this. Uh, we're just going to say this together and pray this together. So let's go ahead and, and just we're going to pause for a moment. And uh, I'm going to pray this prayer. God, would you come and help us understand the reality of who you are? So let's pray this together. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. I'm going to read that and pray that one more time. And, and I just want this thought is uh, just say this if you want to in your, in your spirit is, Holy Spirit, would you come and move in my heart? So let's pray again. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to shift gears, all right? Uh, we're going we're gonna to move from the book of Daniel, and we're going to catch up on something that we left off about eight months ago, all right? And uh, it is the book of James. But first, I want to I tell you a little bit of story, and it's going to involve you using a little bit of your imagination uh, this morning. So, so here's what I want you to imagine, that you're placed in the middle of a city that has no road rules. Now, if you've ever lived in a developing uh, nation or you visited one, you don't have to imagine. You've been there before, okay? And so, but it has no road rules. Um, it's a place where people drive as they please, all right? And, and they, the new laws overturn the, the, what were existing laws, um, and no one had to follow these old rules, right? There were no restrictions. Now, they never took down the signs, the stoplights, um, you know, the exit signs, uh, but you didn't have to follow these rules anymore. And so we would no doubt if we were in this city, we would see people driving on the left, on the right, down the center. Some would choose the sidewalk. Some would choose the shoulder. Uh, some people would just make shortcuts across lawns and do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and, and some people would choose what, the, what were the old stop signs. They'd be like acceleration challenges. Like how fast can I go through that intersection um, and survive? And definitely the interstate that would cut through this city would just look like a modified speed zone, right? Uh, it would just be, okay, going through at what could be fatal um, speeds. And so as we see this city, like you can imagine it, and first thought might be, if you like speed, your first thought may be, that would be awesome, all right? And I think, though, if, I, if, I, if I'm correct here, it would be awesome until you're actually placed in the middle of the city and you're a pedestrian, all right? Your thought process might change. It might even change if you were a driver, all right? Because there's 
chaos that's taking place. A different perspective is seen. What was once thought to be cool freedom was like, I really miss where I came from that had these restraints on me. And so we're going to talk about that uh, today and in this series that I'm calling Wholehearted, Finding Life in Christ. And this series, I believe, as we walk through the book of James, is that we're, we're going to be faced with some challenges. And I just want to open up uh, today with this. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is something that everyone in the room can relate to. Now, some people can relate to it even better than others, but we can all get in on this one. And, and what I want to talk about is, is your mouth and specifically what comes out of it. And so some of you can relate like, oh boy, here we go. All right, but I want to I say this. I want to give myself an out here uh, for the things that James says. I want you to remember everything that I'm going to read out of the Scripture today from James 1, 19 through 27, James said. So you have to be mad at James. Don't be mad at me. I'm just, I'm just the message relayer, okay? And so, but James sets us up here to hear some tough things, some things that will absolutely challenge us. And so, and I'm good about that because um, I think we need to be bothered. Like, I don't think being bothered is a horrible thing. Now, I will, I will concede this. Uh, being bothered is an inconvenient thing, and it is an uncomfortable thing when we're bothered. But I don't think, if we, if we really dig into the why of why I am being bothered, we can really actually put, our, put ourselves in a place where we can learn, right? And, and so why does something bother us? Well, oftentimes we try to be as comfortable, especially in a, a Western um, setting where we are, we try to be as comfortable as we can all the time. And when we face discomfort, there's something that's going wrong. And, and the rest of the world just calls that life. And so discomfort is okay. It really is okay. And I encourage you in the middle of the discomfort to dig in and say, man, why am I bothered by this? Like, could it be like, God, what are you doing in the middle of what is going on? And so here's what I want to say to you is, um, as I've been discovering more and more as I study the scriptures, uh, the Bible it, is this, I'm, I'm disturbed, like disturbed by the Bible. Is anybody else disturbed? And, and let me, let me, I want to attempt to communicate here and give you what I mean by this. I'm not sickened by the Bible. I'm not disgusted by the Bible. Uh, I'm, I'm, rather, I'm saying this, that, that Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he barges in to my very soul and informs me that there's more to life than just the right here and the right now. He interrupts me. He says that, he says with this gospel, I'm confronted with decisions. Uh, will you follow Christ with your whole life or will you do what your will wants to do? See, in the gospel, if we're reading this, the gospel tends to have this thing where it disturbs us, it interrupts us, it, it breaks us out of the pattern of living life that is self-indulgent. And that's what I mean when I say that 
I'm disturbed by the gospel. I hope that you're disturbed. I hope you're interrupted. I hope that, that, that Christ comes in and confronts your very soul and says, what, how are you living? And are you living for me? And, and so when we look at this, with, with this, I want to enter into James 1. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to James 1. Uh, chapter 19, it'll be on the Air Bible, chapter 19, chapter 1, verse 19, uh, it'll be up here on the Air Bible too, but it, it reads this, it says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. And I'm discovering more and more because I am a talker is that listening is a skill that has to be worked on continuously. You can actually practice listening. Just like you can practice talking, you can practice being quiet and listening. And now listening for, uh, for some people is not easy. Now, others of you are great listeners, Right? Like you can stop and you can listen and actually you, you just listen to the person and what they're saying instead of formulating the answer to what they're saying. You're actually listening. If you've ever been in conversation with a great listener, what you'll see is they don't interrupt you. They don't say at the end of your word, their speech doesn't automatically stop. A great listener actually is this, a person that when you're talking to them and they respond to you, there's almost like a pause in between and you're like, are they listening to me? They're listening. We're not used to it though, right? So a great listener uh, is a person who has practiced listening. And a little pro tip here. If you're formulating an answer in your head before the person is done, you're not listening. Okay? You're not listening. You're in what's called defense mode. I'm going to defend my position now, and here we go. All right? So listen well. Now, I want to say to you, uh, I am not a professional listener. Uh, my kids uh, can attest to that, and, uh, but I'm working on it. All right? I just got this from my daughter. Eh, maybe, okay. Uh, thanks for your support, Ellie. And so, made me feel so good. And But what we can do is this. We can get discouraged, right? When we realize, and, and how often do we do this, that, that we, we defend our position, we immediately answer, and then we, if, we do, if we do think about it, we think, wow, I was really quick there to answer that. Instead of listening, processing, and then, Maybe answering calmly. I was really quick to, I was really quick. And we can become discouraged and, and we can become, uh, we can get angry, right? How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you got angry? Maybe even this last week, like you were angry because maybe you didn't listen well. Maybe you did listen well and you were still angry. And, or maybe you're allowing, you know, filth into your life. And, and I do want to say in, in 2020, um, there's actually this thing still called sin and filth. It really exists. And if we pretend like it doesn't, uh, we're only fooling ourselves. And so we let this into our lives. And, and 
um, I know this full well because I, I do it, right? Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, way back when, when I was an unholy person, I was a sinner, all right? We're all sinners saved by grace, right? We're all working through this thing. We're all following Christ. Uh, if we call ourselves Christ followers, we're, we're following Jesus. We're yoking ourselves to Him. Um, you know, I, I was probably a jerk in the last week. I'm not going to look at my family right now. I was probably a jerk in the, within the last week. I can almost guarantee it, Right? Um, I was introduced at, at the teacher's breakfast on, uh, on Friday, and, and the principal said, Andy's so awesome. And I'm thinking, gosh, these people don't know me, man. Like, I'm not really that awesome, all right? And so uh, the deal is this. God is at work, though, in my heart and in my life, and I believe that if we'll surrender to him, that he will do the same work in you. And so, and we see Jesus talking about this. He's talking about inner purity in this um, verse, uh, or chapter 7 of Mark, verses 21 through 23, it says this, and he's talking about, you know, what defiles you. It says, it comes from the inside that defiles you. For uh, from within, uh, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, um, it, uh, there's theft and murder, adultery, greed. Uh, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All the vile things come from within. Uh, they are what defile you. Wow. Now, how many of you would love to be like, hey, that's me. Like, I deal with, I deal with all of those things. I love it. But I think it's like the first thing we need to do is own it. Right? We need to deal with like, hey, you know what? Um... Uh, I'm not going to hide anymore. Actually, I, I want to be exposed before God because if, if we talk about the grace and mercy of God, either it's real or it's not. Either He loves us where we are or He doesn't. And I believe that it's the former, that He, he does love us where we are, that, that the, in this, this exposure requires this thing called vulnerability. And vulnerability is, is a result of trust. I can be vulnerable with someone that I trust. And so when we look at this uh, and we say we have the vulnerability before God because we trust God with our lives that we can say things like, hey, I was greedy last week. I was deceitful yesterday. I had lustful desires two days ago. Um, and then I can know this because I trust in God that, that He is going to follow through with His promises. Because he is good. We can go around and we can, we can pretend like we're not doing this, but God knows our hearts. He knows what's going on in us. What it says is this, like, I can't be vulnerable before God because I really don't trust that he is actually good. I feel like God is going to hit me with a hammer. And we pretend as if he doesn't know what's going on. The vulnerability comes and the trust comes when we say, God, would you forgive me for this? I don't want to do this alone. 
all right? And I think that's the, that's the key to community is that we don't, you know, it's not like we get to come up here and, I, you know, every week I'm calling, okay, Chuck, come up here, confess your sin to everybody, you know, but we have people within the community that we can walk through. The most miserable experience must be walking through life with zero people. That's not the way we were designed. We're designed to live in community, to be vulnerable with one another, to be accountable to one another. And so I believe this, until we face these things, until we can come before God in trust and vulnerability, it will stunt the growth of our relationship with God. I mean, this is just a reality. If if I don't trust Jen, my wife, implicitly, it will stunt the growth of our relationship. And I believe it's the same way with God. It will stunt because I am holding back from trusting God completely. And I think this has a, it has a spillover effect, right? If I don't trust God completely, God asks me to do something, maybe go pray for somebody. Oh, God, I don't know. Hey, give this amount of money to X person. I don't know. I got this other thing. So that trust spills over. Romans, Romans 3, 23 and 24, uh, Paul offers these words, and it says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Okay, you guys are there with me, right? Okay, and then it carries on in verse 24. Yet, in, yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of of our sins. And, and I want to offer you these words of encouragement this morning that God sees you, He knows you, and He loves you right where you are. Does that mean He wants you to stay right where you are? I don't believe that for a second, but He loves you right where you are. And He loves who you are because why? Because He created you. See, His grace is overwhelming. When you, when you think about God's grace, you, it is incomprehensible. Because why? As humans, we put a box on it. Well, I would love a person up to this point. I would accept a person up to this point. If a person did this to me, but if they did this thing that's over the line, then I could no longer. God's grace abounds. We, can't, we cannot make this up. It's, it's the greatest thing that we could ever imagine times, you know, whatever, to the 95th power, to the power of infinity, all right? And so we, we think about this. And why then is it hard for us to accept this grace? It's because we can't fully understand it, right? I mean, think about that. His grace is infinitely more than we could ever offer anyone by ourselves, and we have a hard time accepting that. But I want to encourage you today to receive that grace because God is good, And you may be asking yourself this question. I've asked this question of myself before. How in the world can I, and then we form ourselves sometimes as the most horrible person, receive His grace? Now, rhetorical question again, don't raise your hand. Um, And especially if you're in your living room, that'd be weird. Okay, is this, uh, how many of you have have stated that in, in some form? I could never receive God's grace because I did dot, 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 or I am the blank, blank, blank. I could never receive 
Now, it says this, the only way that we can receive His grace is through humility, right? And so not allowing the grace of God to be experienced in your life because you are, quote, so horrible, believe me, He's seen worse, is actually called pride. And I want to list three statements here, and I'm going to, I'm going to say them, and you just follow along, and these statements go like this. Statement number one, I've missed the mark, made a mess of my life, and I need God. Statement number two, my life is fine. I create my own rules for life, and I don't need, quote, God in my life. Statement number three, I missed the mark, made a mess of my life. I need God, but He would never accept me. Okay, and those are pretty easy statements to say, okay, here's uh, humility, uh, and here is, here is pride. Those, those three statements are fairly easy. Statement number one is humility. Hey, I've made a mess of my life. I missed the mark. I need God. All right, that's the realization of the Romans passage there. All right, the second statement is definitely pride, right? I'm fine. I create my own rules for life. I've given in. I'm self-indulgent. I do whatever I want to and I create my own rules. I don't need your, quote, God in my life. Uh, the third statement, I've missed the mark. I messed up my life. I need God, but He would never accept me. Now, that's, that, seems like a, that seems like a humble statement. Here's the problem, though. It's actually a prideful statement. Why is the third statement prideful? Well, when you hit about that last little bit there, but he would never accept me, here's what you have done. You have placed yourself in the position of God and you're determining what he can and cannot do. You have pridefully overstepped your bound as a human being and told God that he cannot accept you. And that is just not the truth. Because the reality is, no matter what you believe about yourself or your worthiness, He sees you differently than you see yourself. His desire is that you would come to Him, that you would trust in Him, and then from that trust that you would be vulnerable enough to say, God, I have messed up. I need you. I don't understand how you could accept me, but I see that you do, and I need you to transform my heart and my life. See, I think he wants us to surrender all that we are. He wants to find us so disturbed, so interrupted by him that we would find true life in him. And that, guys, I'm just going to tell you, that's fantastic news. Like, we have a God who meets us where we are, and he says, you're my child, follow me. I've sent my son to make you right with me. You can come into my presence where transformation can happen, and then transformation begins to happen. I mean, it is great news. James continues in verses 22 through 25, he says this, but don't listen, uh, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing uh, in your mirror, at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you carefully look into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget 
what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And we might think, well, okay, I mean, it says don't just listen. It says that, that, we, that we have to do what it says, okay? So, so some of us get in this mode in this passage with like, oh, so if I do stuff, that'll make me right with God. No, no, let me, under, let me have you understand something because so many times we run after I'm going to do something for God. I want you to think about that statement and break it down. For, you're going to do something for the creator of all things. Okay? If anything, you're going to partner with him in what he desires to do. Okay? You're not doing a favor for God, though. You're not earning his grace by doing something. It's actually part of the deal. He's, he's called us into relationship, and because we're in relationship, our heart's desire will become that we would actually do the things that he's calling us to do. And so we see these examples. In Luke 9, uh, we see Jesus send out the 12. In Luke 10, the 12 disciples. In Luke 10, he sends out uh, 72. In Matthew 28, we see uh, him give this thing called the Great Commission. He's sending people out. In all three of these passages, we see Jesus engaging in this process. Don't, don't just listen. Now go do. Don't just, don't just sit back and, and think that, oh, I'm going to get the benefits of the kingdom and there's not going to be anything that I have to do. God is calling you into action. So if we look at that and we say, okay, Luke 9, Luke 10, these are just three examples. Matthew 28, he, he's calling us, he's commissioned us to hear, be hearers of the word and then also be doers of the word. That never went away. That, that practice, because Jesus says it, it's actually ancient. It's actually something that, that Jesus has called us to do. Like, hey, be a people that listens to me. Be a people then that acts. And so we're invited into that. Jesus has called the church. That means the local body. That means the capital C church into action. What does that mean? Who in here wants to see the world change? Anybody? Yeah, a couple people. I mean, everybody, right? Like, how many of you would love to see the world uh, restored? That'd be amazing, right? Man, what a lofty thing. Is it that lofty? If the, if the capital C church started doing what it was called to do, is it that lofty of an idea? Do we really believe that state statute number 1785.36 is going to change someone's heart. I don't know what that is. If you look it up and it's something weird, like, don't hate, okay? Uh, I don't, it's not going to. Do you understand that no single piece of legislation will actually change a person's heart? It's the Holy Spirit that can do that. Now, does that mean we just give up on politics? Oh, forget it. Uh, you know, I don't even care if we have Christian leaders. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, are we going to put our hope in that? Because it's a false hope. It's a thing that's going to pass away. But in Christ, we have something that's eternal, that will never pass away. When Jesus gets a hold of a person's heart, that makes an eternal change in that person. And that eternal change starts to take place right here on earth. We begin to see transformation in a person. You know, people say, well, I don't think you can change the world. I, that is a lie. 
I will say it over and over again. If you change one person's life, you have changed the world. So if we have the best thing going, what are we doing with it? Walking around like there's no hope. Walking around like, mm-hmm. walking around like people need to serve me. Yo, read the gospel again. Don't recall Jesus saying that. Hey, spot a T, what are you doing? Okay, he's not saying that. He's serving people. He's actually getting down and washing people's feet. James continues in verses 26 and 27. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue. How many of you guys, when you just read that, you either heard me say it or you, you read it on the screen, you were like, woo, things about to get nasty. Like, right? You felt this little, okay, okay. I did. When I've been reading this, I'm like, oh, man. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are, only, you are fooling yourself. Your religion is worthless. I'm just, I'm just letting it sink in a little bit. 27 says this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. If we went back to that Matthew uh, or Mark 7, right? What are the things? Where do the things come that corrupt us? They come from the inside. Well, we've got to hand our life over to God so that he can have his way with us, that he can transform our heart. So those things that start to bubble up out of us are not anger and lust and greed and deceitfulness. They're actually fruits of the Spirit. That's found in Galatians, right? And those start to bubble up. As our hearts are transformed, the things that start to come out, I mean, John 15 speaks to it, right? Hey, you're the vine, um, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those branches produce fruit then that we can start controlling our tongue. I got a tongue issue that I can't go to the doctor for. I have to go to Jesus for because he's the only one that can transform. Lately in our home, what we've been saying is this thing. We say one word, uh, yeah, three syllables. And all it is is this, personal. Because why do we say that? We're not saying that's personal. Okay, I'm not saying that personal. When we recognize that we are saying something about another family member to degrade them that is personal, we just say personal. You know how many times I've said it? You know how many times the joker said it to me? Eight. Okay, eight times. That was probably yesterday, okay? Um, And personal, (laughs) personal. Okay, yeah. All right, and so here's the deal, because we like to what? We like to razz each other, right? You know, but then what we find out is, oh, that funny thing you said actually hurt me, and it wasn't really that funny, because it hurt. Now, everybody was laughing, but it wasn't really funny. And so we, we can catch ourselves right? Now think about this. I mean, these, these words, they're, they're challenging, right? I mean, I read through these words, and, and I, I think of my own life, and it, it was challenged clearly, like, hey, you need to watch your tongue. What is it saying? Is it speaking life, or is it speaking death? Because every day, here's what I face, and I'm sure you face 
is your will, your, your will, your want, your, your desire. Kind of, you ever had it creep up and like kind of want to talk about somebody or kind of want to blast somebody or whatever, you know, whatever you deal with? You ever had that come up? And so this, this comes against every day. It says, hey, is it, and C.S. Lewis, he said this, he said, um, there's two kinds of people at the end of eternity. It's those that say to God, thy will be done, and those who God says to those people, thy will be done. There's two kinds. There's people that submit to God in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and there's the other kind where Jesus, where Jesus would say to them, okay, thy will be done. And so, hey, how about this? I'm going to talk to myself for a second. How about this, Andy? Learn to shut your mouth. Do you understand? That's a spiritual discipline. Now, in all the spiritual discipline books, it's not called shut your mouth. It's a little, it's, that'd be a little much, right? Like, shut up, okay? We don't say that, right? No, it's this, silence. Dallas Willard was in an argument where he could have clearly decimated a, a student of his, and um, he ended the discussion early with silence. Dallas Willard is a philosopher. He's, he has passed in 2013, but, but very brilliant man, and he could have crushed the student, but instead he had been working at his older age on the discipline of silence, so he just ended the discussion with silence. You know what? The kid then looked like he was right. Dallas Willard said, no, I've just been practicing not getting the last word. And he walked away. See, so what do we do? Well, we, we, we can be quiet. We can check what comes out of our mouths. We can be an encouragement instead of a discouragement. Uh, we could smash people, right? You got that one comeback, you know it's going to crush them. Or we could not. And we could follow God with all that we are. Maybe you've heard something said like this. Um, not exactly, but you can, you can paraphrase in your own mind. Um, the restraint of religion will kill a person. Uh, the freedom of self-determinism, of finding your own path, of forging your own way is the only way to really live. I'll read that again. The restraint of religion will kill a person. The freedom of self-determinism or self-determining or finding your own path is the only way to live. And if we look back at the simple story that we started with today, uh, we find, now I know I it was a simple example, but we find that really life without restraint is only attractive from here. That once our perspective change. And once we're in this life where we're living without restraint, we find that there is no more freedom than we had before. A matter of fact, we find ourselves bound up to the things that we used to call freedom, quote, freedom. And that, quote, freedom, that self in indulgence, that living with no restraint becomes the thing, the very thing that chokes the life out of us. 
Now, I will concede this, that religion will kill a person. It will definitely kill a person. But it's only if it's the worthless religion that James talks about. If it's actually laying down your life and following Christ, I believe this, that yeah, you'll, you'll find yourself dead. But it's your will that will be dying. Not a physical death, but whether you're, it's your will, it's those desires that Mark talked about. And we begin to see that, that when we begin to die to ourselves, that we actually start to become alive in Christ. And now this is a great mystery, right? How can we live a life, it sounds so, so opposite of what would be true, right? A life without restraint should be a life that's lived to the fullest, but if we actually live within restraint, if we live within the context and and the parameters that God has set for us, that we will actually experience life to the fullest. The boundaries and restraints that we experience when we are joined to Christ, actually bring true life, life that can be lived to the fullest. And let me end with a question here from verse 27, because 27 said this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And here's my question that I want to present to you. What caused the orphan and widow to be cared for? Was it the life that was lived with no restraint? And I think the answer there is a resounding no, because the life that is lived without restraint would not take the time to even see the orphan and the widow, because I am living for myself. So if they don't see them, They certainly wouldn't care for them. I believe the answer to the question is found in one person only, and that's in the life, the birth, the life, the death, and the life that's found in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the one place. That's the one place where we we begin, as, as Jesus transforms our heart, we begin to be transformed into people that actually see other people as image bearers of God. We begin to see people for who they are. We begin to care for the person. We begin to listen to the person. We begin to have interest in their life. And because of that, we get to introduce them to the life that was given to us through Jesus Christ, and we get to do it freely. I want to present this idea. Lives that are changed by Christ are the only lives that breathe life. I want you to think about that for a second. The only life that then encourages other life to happen is because of Jesus. Jesus empowers us, He dwells in us, He allows us then to impact other people's lives, the orphan and the widow, and because of the life that's found in us, we get to share that with them, 
And because of that life, they're impacted. They begin to follow Jesus. They begin to introduce other people to Jesus and what, what he's done. And life breeds life. We go back to the John passage. Once we are grafted in to the vine, that is Jesus, we begin to produce fruit. And so I want to encourage you this morning that we need to take a look at our own lives, that we really need to be real. Am I, am I serving a religion that's dead? Is my religion choking the life out of me, or is it something that's giving life? Am I looking to the side and seeing the widow? Am I seeing the orphan? Am I seeing people for who they are? One of the big things we have coming up in November oftentimes what we're doing of late is seeing people as either blue people or red people. Can I encourage you with something? Stop. (laughs) See people as image bearers of God. See people. If people bother you, why are you bothered? And there might be, like, legitimate reason that you're bothered. I'm not saying don't be bothered by anything. But, like, ask the why. I believe this, that, that God is transforming people's hearts and lives. I believe this, the only answer is Jesus Christ. If we want to see transformation in our world, let our own lives start to be transformed. Let our will come into alignment with His and we will see things happen that we've never seen happen before. There will be restoration like we've never seen. There will be rebuilding of community like we've never seen. There will be hope like we've never seen as we hope in and put our trust in Jesus Christ. Stand with me. God, this morning we submit our lives to you and not just within these four walls and then we go out and do whatever the heck we want to do. We just say, God, would you come and have your way? God, I pray for the people that are participating online, God, that they would, they would know that you are present, that you're real, you're in the room, um, God, and that you would begin to transform lives. God, I thank you that you are on the move, that you are, you are transforming us, God. And I thank you, God, that you do meet us right where we are and that your desire is to use each one of us. So, Father, I just pray as as we leave this place today um, that you would continue to move, that we would continually submit our lives to you and the things that you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen.